years working capital murder cases and appeals of the wrongfully convicted led criminal defense lawyer Cheryl Pilot to a dark conclusion that the government's willingness to execute men and women stands as a potent expression of racism's grasp on America's justice system. From her front row seat, Pilot has encountered evidence of a system preying on minorities while under the spell of corrupt cops, unethical prosecutors, and enabled by an assortment of others, incapable of setting aside prejudices that remain pillars of society. She is convinced our legal system is too distorted by centuries of injustice to fairly decide who lives and dies. The death penalty is, it's like the, the peak horror, but it is a reflection of pervasive racism throughout the justice system. And the justice system is a reflection of society. On this Kansas Reflector podcast, Pilot and others share strong feelings in opposition to capital punishment. Their views stem from personal experiences with racism, a theory state-sponsored execution is indefensible, and a belief ending the death penalty can be a stroke of dignity in a country struggling with division. Their rejection of capital punishment is tied to America's long history of black slavery and the persistence of white supremacy, an idea not universally shared as Beatrice Swoops, a retired public policy lobbyist for Catholic causes says, nothing screams black lives don't matter like the death penalty. Kansas law allows capital punishment, but no one has been put to death in the state since 1965. A handful of men at El Dorado Correctional Facility have been sentenced to die by lethal injection. The majority are white, all are convicted killers. But in Kansas, the politics of tough on crime policy prevails. Pilot, Swoops, and Mark McCormick, a staffer with the ACLU of Kansas, spoke from the heart on the subject at a recent conference of the Kansas Coalition Against the Death Penalty. Swoops was born in 1946 and lived in a segregated two-block street in Kansas City, Kansas. She was nine when Rosa Parks refused to surrender her bus seat in Montgomery, Alabama. She attended an all-black Catholic grade school until her father thought it was time for her to help integrate a nearby all-white elementary. She went to Bishop Ward High School, where there were three blacks in her freshman class. Here's a memory of those days. These were the 60s, so as a member of the junior NAACP, I participated in the sit-ins to desegregate the lunch counters at Kresge's in Kansas City, Missouri and followed intently the activities of Dr. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and other civil rights activists of the time. These were experiences that definitely made me feel my blackness. She said sentiment that blacks are lesser than people regrettably carried through the culture to her own children. In 1987, Swoop says, her eldest son went to a Hallmark card store in Lenexa, Kansas. A sophomore at Rockhurst College, he was detained by police when the store clerk, uneasy around black people, called 911 to report a potential robbery. He wasn't charged, of course, but the sting remains to this day. I was livid. And as you can see, even back then, it's been so long, I still have emotions behind that incident. Swoops, who worked 46 years for the Kansas Catholic Conference, says racism is a heavy influence on who is capitally prosecuted, sentenced to die, and executed in the United States. 
The Death Penalty Information Center, for example, reports that since U.S. executions resumed in 1977, there have been 308 black defendants executed for murders involving at least one white victim. In that same period, only 34 white defendants have been executed when at least one black victim was killed. In Swoops' mind, this disparity is a modern form of lynching. It's as if capital punishment stands as a Confederate monument to injustice. Bias is ingrained in our society. The superiority of one race over the other permeates our DNA. It is important to acknowledge that our nation from its very beginning was created with laws and policy that intentionally, intentionally subjugated minorities. This has resulted in the institutionalized systemic racism that exists today in our justice system, health system, educational system, housing system, all systems. Swoop says correlation between the death penalty and racial inequality may not be obvious to everyone, but to her, it's starkly clear. On this subject, she is convinced one plus one does equal two. The death penalty screams black lives don't matter. Mark McCormick has four sons, and two have licenses to drive. For their father, it's an anxiety-producing experience when they get behind the wheel. It's very difficult to breathe until they get back home, even if they're just going to McDonald's or something. When he was a student at Wichita North High School, McCormick learned from Joe Brown, the first woman of color elected to the Wichita School Board, that white residents in Wichita weren't always interested in swimming in water touched by blacks. Brown said the result was that black students at a Wichita high school were allowed to swim only on Friday. Here's why. After the black students swam, the pool was drained, the, the pool was cleaned and then refilled because they didn't want black kids and white kids swimming in the same water. McCormick now works in Kansas City as a communications strategist with the ACLU. He's a former journalist at the Wichita Eagle and executive director of the Kansas African American Museum. He was at Eagle in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected president. The day after, he received about 40 phone messages. McCormick says the first was from a manager of a West Wichita restaurant with angry customers insisting they not be served by blacks. There were customers coming through the drive-thru said, I don't want any touching my money or my food. McCormick adds his voice to the idea that racial history of the United States is sufficiently harsh to forfeit control of decisions about who dies and who lives by court order. If problems at the DMV can't get fixed, the rationale goes, how can anyone expect government to deal with racism? He put it this way at the anti-death penalty conference. The death penalty is wrong on its face. The central question is not whether uh, someone deserves to die, but rather, do we deserve to kill them? And I'll say again, we don't. How can a nation that can scarcely recognize black life consider itself justified in taking it? McCormick also says the 1991 beating of Rodney King by Los Angeles police still offers lessons for the future. That police brutality, you may recall, was filmed by a guy in a nearby balcony and the footage was given to news stations. It became a global sensation, not easily forgotten. It's now more difficult for law enforcement officers to blanketly deny zealous behavior because people walk around with video cameras in their pockets. 
Aside from repeal of capital punishment, he says, Kansas law needs to be amended to improve public access to records of police use of force. He also says it's time for the public to get more influence on who is employed at law enforcement agencies. Pilot, the Kansas defense attorney, admits it's dispiriting for some people to learn it isn't rare for black women to be exploited sexually by law enforcement officers in Kansas City, Kansas. She says the existence of the death penalty and its disproportionate application to people of color is based on the same notions of privilege and entitlement. Once again, Pilot. The death penalty is the officially sanctioned, legalized expression of the kind of violence um, against Black folks that goes on every day that is um, part of a vast system of uh, illegal uh, but rarely punished acts often committed by police uh, against Black folks. Pilot is continuing to work on a civil rights lawsuit regarding the wrongful conviction of Lamont McIntyre, who was arrested as a teenager in Wyandotte County for a double homicide. He was innocent, but the legal system didn't see it that way. Pilot says the cops were in need of someone to take the fall and settled on a 17-year-old black kid, somebody they thought would never secure the resources to effectively prove them wrong. In 2017, McIntyre's conviction was overturned based on evidence of prosecutorial misconduct. We're seeking civil justice after 23 years uh, lost to prison in a case which frankly was a, a frame up. It was um, an intentional framing of my client who did not know the victims, knew nothing about the crime, was nowhere near the scene. Um, it was part of a series of violent crimes committed by a drug gang and there were certain cops um, who were very enmeshed with some of these gangs, uh, received money for them, or were part of the drug trade themselves. Pilot says her experience is that people of color in Wyandotte County aren't eager to talk about realities of a justice system they've been convinced doesn't serve their interests. The Black folks understand they're not supposed to talk about this, that they will suffer uh, repercussion or harm um, if they talk about what happened. Basically, we have um, an inner city dehumanized population that is treated as if they're there um, to provide <laughs> various means to a living, both legal and illegal, for a dominant white population. Uh, the white population is about one third of Wyandotte County. Um, black and brown folks are two-thirds of the population. She says capital punishment is the most extreme expression of violence perpetrated by the dominant culture. She also argues a system built up to perpetuate capital punishment is organized so no one person must feel responsible for a death sentence. It cleverly allows no single individual to carry the weight of, I am the person responsible for this. She says she may never shake memories of a corrections officer dragging a condemned man away and the sound of the prison telephone dropping to the floor in the middle of a conversation with lawyers. Pilot says that death row inmate wasn't permitted the humanity of saying goodbye to his attorneys. A lot of this is so ugly. It's just so ugly. 
I sometimes it's really hard to find um, a way to talk about it that is not upsetting to people. But um, I've been working on this stuff for a long time, so I'm going for the frank approach right now, and I'm just saying what I see. I I, I don't know the roots of all of this. Um, but what I do know is that unless we start talking more openly and honestly about it, that we're not going to get very far. This has been another episode of the Kansas Reflector Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Carpenter. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, thanks for listening.